It was uh, February 27th. I was uh, in the middle of my class teaching. I started getting numbness that started in my mouth and then started to run up the right side of my face. I was taken and put into an ambulance and transported to Lexington Medical Center. I spent about five hours in the hallway on a gurney because they didn't have a room for me and I was told the next day that I had had a stroke. While I was laying on the gurney in the uh, ER hallway, I started texting people and I said, well, maybe I should text my small group. And so I just started texting them. I'm in the hospital, I have no clue what's going on. I'm kind of dizzy, I can't really open my eyes that much, but y'all pray for me. Skip was on a gurney texting us uh, and he didn't indicate what was going on at the time and maybe he didn't know yet, but he asked for prayers, which we could all begin doing right away. It didn't take us much to rally, rally our group together and um, definitely get with Skip in, at that time of need. Two CAT scans, an MRI, two days of hospital, you know, stays and everything that they had an idea that there was going to be expenses. And so all of a sudden he just said, here, this is from our group. After David left, I sat down on a step in my kitchen and I just started to cry because it just was one of those things that just kind of hit me, the overwhelming love of people. And I mean, that's what a relationship with Christ can do, is it can just not only bring forth good things from you, but you can share those good things with other people. Uh, a bad situation really solidified our group and the relationship between the men in the group to come together uh, for one specific cause. Every one of us is invested and, and authentic. We're seven guys with seven backgrounds um, and, and seven different life stories and histories, but we do have one thing in common, and we love God and we love each other uh, as a group. And I just appreciate the support Radius gives us, but just having that support definitely helped me get over the, get the courage to lead a group with Dave. Each group kind of has its own personality. And because it has its own personality, you just have to kind of find the group that you fit in. So, I mean, my piece of advice to anyone would just be, you know, keep on trying the group and then just find the niche that you really fit in. I, I don't know where I would be heart-wise, head-wise, if I didn't have this group of Christian men that were as supportive as they have been during uh, a really scary time in my life. So that's what we do here. If you're, if you're new at Radius, part of our, our dream when we planted this was that we would really gain momentum being together around Christ. For weeks we did a figure eight. We gain this momentum being the church and it kind of flows through our home and eventually it launches us into our neighborhood, into our Radius and we impact our community, which is what you're going to do on the way out the door when you get those cookies, right? Like, it's that simple. Even I can do it. Put it on a cookie sheet. Put it up. It's got instructions, and I got to take it to a neighbor. I might give all 12 to one neighbor. I mean, that's, that's one way to do it. But it's really what we wanted was us to have community around Christ so that it would launch us into the community so that they can know Christ as well. Let me pray, and we'll uh, jump into this. Jesus, do thank you for stories like that. I didn't even know that story happened. So cool to see our groups um, have a life of their own that is centered around you and good for, for all. 
It is uh, so fun to remember stories of when our church was uh, just super active at getting out and meeting our neighbors, and we want to be that again. So uh, with a simple cookie, Lord, give us energy for that. As we talk about this subject, Lord, subject you created, um, pray that you give me freedom and you give us ears to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we called this series Born This Way. We want to deal with uh, biblical sexuality. Um, kind of the way it'll work. If you're nervous, you probably have reason to be. Um, we'll, we'll kind of set it up today. And then the next two Sundays, we'll talk about masculinity. So wives, you're going to want your husband to be here. It's crazy how our attendance goes up when we talk to the men because the ladies, like, must force the action. But then the next two weeks, we're going to talk about femininity. You better not run off Dan because I noticed that our attendance goes down a little bit during femininity. I don't know what that is. And then we will talk very frankly about stuff like same sex and uh, a variety of issues on the, on the sixth Sunday. So that's, that's kind of the plan. Next Sunday will be, um, we'll start talking specifically to the men, but it'll, it'll relate to everybody. I wanted to start this series by just landing some immovable truths. We like to call them in the past pilings. If you go to the beach, you see the big beach house, and it's got these pilings. It's got the house set up above where the water may come, and some of them are massive. If you've ever seen them, put them in the ground. They drive them in the ground, deep into the ground until they connect. And these immovable truths that God has established, either about God or that he's established, (laughs) man, when we say immovable, we mean nothing will move them. They will never be moved. They are never shaken. They're not intimidated. They're always true. But as you know, there's all kinds of noise that makes you question whether they will hold their ground. (laughs) The facts are that piling, that truth cannot be moved, has never been moved, and will never be moved. But man, the noise sounds like it could be. And the noise works all sorts of ways, particularly on the subject of sexuality. When it comes to the subject of sexuality, the noise sometimes sounds really seductive and beautiful. And it sounds like a beautiful voice singing out to you, right? Uh, Carrie Underwood sings the Cowboy Casanova. You heard that's an old school song where like, like this guy just, he just had it and then he didn't, right? Like so she starts loving him and then she ends cursing him. Like it, it had this voice that was seductive and sucked you in. The Proverbs speaks about that all the time when it talks about sexuality. At this point in our culture, that, that noise is almost more like a hurricane, a massive cultural shift that's intimidating. It feels like there's no chance for the piling, for the truths of God to hold. And so oftentimes the people of God start to focus in on the noise as opposed to focusing in on the immovable truth and the immovable God. Let's be frank. It's a war, and the war is against the living God. It's been going on since creation. It will not stop. The enemy is relentless. He makes incredible amounts of noise. He will resituate himself over and over so that sometimes the noise is seductive and sometimes the noise is intimidating. He can trick you with the noise left and right. All of us have been, everybody. My hope is with this series that it will create for us a sense of security 
in those pilings in the truths about God. It seems to me as I watch the church in America that either we are insecure and we act out um, by condemning every, everyone around us because we're not really sure of the truth, so we have to throw rocks. So we're always angry, we're always throwing rocks, and we claim that we're all about the truth, right? And then there's another group that claims that they're all about love and they seem to condone everything. And agree with and, and never really take a stance on anything. You kind of have both groups claiming tr- truths, the truth and love that are true about God. But because of their insecurity, because they focus so much on the noise or themselves and not the truth, the pilings, the God who created the pilings, just act out in all sorts of jacked out up ways and kind of come and they're up and they're down. And that, that's us at times. Kind of reminds me of a Clemson fan, like, like, kind of like, like, like Monday night, man, it was terrible. And yesterday, I don't know if you took a lot of hope in that. I didn't, right? Like, I'm, I'm still down. But like, kind of, kind of like, kind of like Carolina fan after that, like the Furman scored that second touch. Like, here we go again. Like, we're, we all like people in South Carolina in football. That's who we are. We're all over the place, right? And that's how the church seems to be with this subject of sexuality. I hope. That over time, as we focus in on the truths that God has given us, that we have this deep confidence in God and his truths. And that you and I would become terrific distributors of grace and truth at the right times, in the right places, with the right tones. But because of our confidence in him, not ourselves or our intellect, our confidence in him, we could do it in in an easy kind of way. Instead of an angry or a cowardice kind of way. I'm reading this book, if you want to read a great one. Uh, it's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. It's by a guy named Christopher Yuan. It is terrific. Um, he addresses directly all sorts of stuff that we are facing, our students face much more than we face uh, if you're my age, and yet we all face it. It's on every commercial. We're exposed to it uh, in all sorts of ways. He addresses it in a, in a terrific fashion. He, he is a uh, former practicing gay guy um, who came to Christ and actually, in his words, said, hey, I wasn't saved from homosexuality. I was saved from sin. I thought that was just a terrific statement. Because we... We get a little jacked up in, in our own world, in the church, that we, people are saved from a specific sin, and we actually will elevate sins or, or lower sins, and we'll actually anticipate that there's a hotter place in hell for certain sins. It's just not what the Bible says, right? The Bible actually says that everybody in this room needs to be saved from sin. And he writes, his story is, a, is the book previous to this. This one is more of a theological unpacking of sexuality in the gospel, and it is, it's terrific. If you want to read it, it's not a fast read, but it is, it, it'll be really helpful. And it applies to all sorts of, uh, of issues that we're facing. The thing about this is it, that really made it attractive to me is he deals with some theological concepts and he establishes some biblical piling, some truths that God says, and yet it's very personal. And most of us in the room are dealing with this subject in personal ways, right? Not just with the facts, but because we know someone 
We have somebody in our family that's asking, why did God make me this way? I've heard this comment at our very church. Our church, they'll say, every church hates my son because of what he prefers sexually. All of us have a friend, a family member is dealing either with same sex, with bisexual uh, activity or thoughts. The trans world has permeated our whole world. Um, and not to make light of a pretty low view of marriage by much of the world, even without any of those issues. So what's happened over the course of time is sexuality has kind of made this subtle shift. I thought this was really interesting. I read this this week from what to who. This war on mankind waged by the enemy embedded in our souls, as we'll see, this war against mankind is trying to shift the war front. He's trying to move to the next ditch as he approaches us. And he wants to take sexuality and make it less about what and make it about who you are. Not what you do, not what you prefer, not what you're attracted to or what you desire. He wants, when we talk about sexuality, he wants it to be connected to who you are. That's a big shift. And that is a massive move by the enemy to get in our business and in our neighbor's business on this subject of sexuality as he hopes to shake the pilings, or at least he can't shake them, but as he hopes to shake them in our own mind. Sigmund Freud, a little over 100 years ago, actually coined the phrase homosexuality and heterosexuality. So he actually put those into our language. They weren't in our language. They're in our language now. And, and really, over the course of time, his writings had a, have had a major impact on our, our society in that he, he pressed this idea that instead of uh, it just being a desire, it was actually our personhood. He connected it to who you are instead of what you do, which has been amazingly destructive for us as the enemy takes shots at these pilings that God's established. So who am I? Lots of people in the room are asking it. You might be sitting there thinking, nobody's asking that in here. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're just living in another world. Lots of people are asking that question about their sexuality, young and old, because of that movement. Who are they? What's my true identity? All that's going on. If God is the creator, the only way to truly know who you are is by knowing him and what his truths are. I just said something real easy that's not real easy. I said, if God is the creator, that's our first major piling that's been under attack for hundreds of years. The enemy wants us to believe that he's not the creator. He wants to, us to believe that everything just evolved. Because if everything just evolved, then it takes all the pressure off, right? Like you could do as you please. I, I've had these conversations with folks when they walk with Jesus for a while and they say, I don't no longer believe in God. And I always go, man, you can't afford to believe in God because of the way you're living. You can't afford to believe in God. You need to believe that this thing evolved because that takes all of the direction off. It takes the originator out. It takes the design out. It just happened, and it'll change over the course of time. So it has shaken us 
as a people, and it's begun to shake the church because we don't know who we are when we don't know who the creator is. I want to lay two really important foundational pieces today as we consider what God says about sexuality, and both of them, we could honestly say we're born that way. Number one is that we're born made in the image of God. Every single one of us in this room, every human being on the planet is born made in the image of God. And then secondly, we were all born into sin. It's a theological concept called original sin. Born, made in the image of God, building block number one, building block number two, we were born into sin. Every one of us, no exceptions in the room. I'll prove it to you biblically. Genesis chapter one says this, then God said, let us make human beings. This is after God has created uh, the giraffes and the elephants and, the, and all of that and the mountains and the sea and the sun and the stars. And he wastes the last and he says, let us make human beings in our image. Check the pronouns. To be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the bird of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female. He created them. I don't know if you picked up on it, but there was a whole lot of make and created in there. God being the creator, driving the whole situation, creates man and woman, male and female. Genesis chapter 5 says it again. Uh, this is written account of the descendants of Adam, the first man. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. I like to call it the I-O-G, made in the image of God. What an honor to walk around on the planet made in the image of God, set apart from all the rest of creation, the crescendo of all creation. You and I as human beings were made in the image of God. He's given us divine characteristics of all things. I know you. You know me. He's given us divine characteristics. He sets us apart. He literally says, don't take another man's life. It's that precious. He's made like me unless he takes another life in that passage. Yuan writes this. I thought it was pretty good. When we make anything else the core of our being, especially our sexuality, it's not only a distortion of the Imago Dei, that's Latin for image of God, but an affront to our creator. Misimaging God should never be treated as trivial, benign, or inconsequential. It's a big deal when you tell the creator what to do. Pretty interesting. Uh, ladies, you should take this as high praise in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, 1 verse 31 it says then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good he's been saying good it was good mountains good Mount Everest good uh, Atlantic Ocean good right <laughs> like uh, the biggest whale in the ocean good it's all good and then he creates Adam and then he creates Eve and at the very end at the crescendo ladies you being the crescendo of all creation human beings he says it's very good he says of the whole creation that it's very good, it's complete. But he says about human beings made in his image that they are very good. 
the image of God is the only real foundation for human rights. Everything else is just, ah, just made up. So what we do often throughout history and even right now, we, we try to push back against mankind being made in the image of God by demonizing certain people groups, right? To make them less than human. That's where all the racial slurs come from. That's why they're so awful. Taking a person because of their pigment of their skin and using a slur to describe them, you're, you're simply trying to devalue them as a human being. I have a picture that I wanted to show you of my friend Carl Banks. He, uh, he's in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. That's his uncle, Isidore Banks. Isidore Banks was lynched in 1954. He owned 1,000 acres in Arkansas. The white folks in his community started to get jealous of him. And so he was uh, tied to a tree, lit on fire. And uh, they said that they did it to intimidate all the black folks in the community. It was the product of a very poor definition of the image of God. I, I went down to visit it separate from Carl. Carl went, and I sent him the picture. It is a beautiful thing for you in the room to affirm Folks are made in the image of God by just connecting with the pain of the past. That event for Carl's family has scarred it forever. They talk about it to this day. It is an affront to the image of God. All of this garbage where we demonize another people group offends God at the deepest, in the deepest sense. So let me just encourage folks as the political motor cranks up, why don't you stay away from the word woke? You're demonizing a group of people, right? Why don't you stay away from the word extremist? You're demonizing a group of people because you don't want to deal with them as humanity. Oftentimes, you don't want to have a conversation because you don't want to listen because you've elevated yourself to the place of God, which was the lie of Satan in the garden. I would just encourage us all, when it comes to sexuality, though I believe the Bible is super clear on this, there's no room for slurs. <laughs> no matter what the path of a human being, they are made in the image of God, and that does not ever change. And so you and I, as representatives of God, with confidence standing on these pilings, the truths of God, we don't have to be so insecure that we have to run off at the mouth. We can be confident in who he is and what he said and speak it in truth and love without wavering. The image of God is very good. And you and I, as his followers, ought to represent that in every situation. The image of God is unique. Uh, chapter 2, verse 7 reads like this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and, be and, and he became a living person. Didn't do that with the cat. Sure enough, didn't do that with a cat, right? <laughs> like, he, he didn't do that with anything else or any, or any plant or anything else he created. He breathed into mankind and gave them life. Isn't it cool that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that he says the same thing about his word? 
that he breathed life into his word. That book that you hold in your phone or, or in literal printed version, like it has a life that God gave to him, just like the life that sets apart mankind. That thing's potent in your hands, just like the people in your radius are. He says, the image of God is unique. It's not like the animals. One of the very flawed arguments arguing for same-sex relationships is that the animal world sometimes acts out in that particular way, right, in, in the same-sex kind of way. But the animal world also cannibalize each other. So do, are we cool with that? Like the argument is just weak when you go down that road. But because it's been a te- connected over the course of time to who we are, there's this deep fight to try to ratify it or to justify our actions. We do that in all sorts of areas of our life. Uh, let's flip back to chapter 1, verse 27. It's, it's pretty amazing how God records creating man. God, so God created human beings in his own image, and then he repeats it because we need some repeating. In the image of God, he created them. God, you think we're dumb? Yes, he thinks we're a little, little on the slow side. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then this last line is pretty amazing because he flips the pronoun to plural. It's been singular. He did the same in the previous verses. He flips the pronoun. Male and female, he, plural, created them. Why? (laughs) There's this direct correlation between a male and a female in the Trinity. Like in the way God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, connect to one another. He creates male and female so that we would connect. There's this direct correlation between male and female that goes all the way back to the beginning. It's connected to this piling that will not be moved, that mankind is made in the image of God. And so what's the enemy doing now? He's attacking for all he's worth. He's making all sorts of noise about male and female, and he's trying to move us away from biology to psychology. How you feel is who you are. And take the authority away from God who created male and female. It's the exact same thing that Satan said in the garden to Eve all those years ago, right? You can be like God. You can make the decision. You can choose. And God in his uh, patience continues to put forth in front of us this piling that we're made in the image of God and that all security and health is built on that. And yet the enemy will war against it until the end of time. So that's the first truth, that you and I were made in the image of God. The second truth is that we were born into sin. I like to say I was born into sin, and a couple months later I proved it. I don't know if my mother gives me a couple months. Like, like any of y'all got little babies, you're like, no, that rascal was already sinning. Like, like on the way out, he, was, he or she, they, they were in sin. But the Bible would say that we're born into it, that, that we were, even when we were uh, conceived in the womb, that we were born into sin. I'll read you a few verses. Psalm chapter 51, verse 1, I mean, verse 5. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. I love that. That's pre-birth. Romans 3.23, 
for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of the God's glorious standard. So if anybody's feeling great about themselves in the room today, think again, right? You equal to everybody else in here, born a sinner. Romans 5, 8, which is a beautiful verse, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We're born into sin. It all started at the fall. I don't know how well you know the Bible, but Genesis starts with that creation that I just told you about. He created Adam and Eve, and they were born in a state of innocence. No sin. They walked around the garden. They had whatever they wanted. They, they led the garden, but when they wanted an orange, they went to the orange tree. When they wanted an apple, they went to the apple tree. When they wanted some squash, they went and got some squash. Like they just, it was on. It was a beautiful time. No clothing, running around the garden naked. Sounds, sounds like a pretty free kind of environment, right? Total freedom in the Garden of Eden. Why did God put a tree in the middle of the garden? You ever ask that? Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, but the Lord God warned him. Men in the room, we're going to get to you next week. Warned him. Sounds like it was his responsibility. Never mind, we'll get that next week. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Just imagine, God puts you in Lexington, South Carolina. He says you can't eat at Wendy's. You can eat anywhere else you want. You're like, bro, why would I want to eat at Wendy's? I can go to Trevenia's. I can go down, downtown and eat whatever I want, but I can't eat at Wendy's. You're like, I wouldn't eat there. I bet you that chocolate frosty gets you eventually. <laughs> Romans chapter 5 actually says, hey, don't think too highly of yourself. You'd have done it too. Wendy's just crying out to you. And eventually we read in scriptures in Genesis chapter 3 that the enemy tricked, deceived, enticed Eve into grabbing an apple, and Adam jumped right in there with her. We'll get to that next week. Why did he put that tree in the garden? I've been thinking about this week, and often when I preach, I want to get to a place of worship. It frustrates me if I'm not worshiping and just putting out facts. Um, he put that tree in the garden for his own glory. He gave Adam and Eve this amazing opportunity to choose him as the authority. He gave them this opportunity to choose him and their relationship to him over a chocolate frosty. Seems, seems like an easy decision, but you and I both know that it's not. He gave them the opportunity to call him all glorious. He ain't worried about it. He's not worried about whether you think he's glorious or not. He wanted you to have that. That was the beauty of all creation that you would choose to call him glorious. He is all glorious. He puts you in play. That's what makes you so special, made in the image of God. You can call him glorious. It's a beautiful thing. And you can do it by choosing not to sin. So when the students this week choose not to let that phone go out, it wouldn't be wrong to say they're worshiping because they're saying God is my authority. And it wouldn't be wrong to say when you give way to it, you're rebelling directly against God. The Bible would say even against yourself. He did it for his glory and then obviously for our good. He gave us the opportunity to participate with the greatest of all time and call him great as he is. In chapter 3, now, let me read what Mark says. I think I got time for that. 
Some people read Genesis and they go, that's the Old Testament. They'll read the law in the Old Testament, like in Habakkuk, where it says uh, God hates divorce, or in uh, Exodus, where he says thou shalt not commit adultery, and he'll go into all these things. And like, but what did Jesus say? Because I like the red letters. I want to know what the red letter says. So here's what the red letters say. And then he added, Jesus, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Anybody not get hit by any of those? You a liar. <laughs> All these foul things come from within. That is what defiles you. We were born into sin. It comes from, from our insides. Sometimes we always blame it on Satan. I'm like, no, bro, you the problem. Right. I don't know. Satan had anything to do with that. He did originally. That original sin that was planted in your insides, it just it just gives birth all the time to stuff that's broken. Genesis chapter three, 19 kind of gives you the fallout of the fall. The fall kind of gets us to this point of original sin that that's inside of all of us and that we're connected to that first sin. 319 says this, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. You ever heard that verse? That didn't exist in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Adam and Eve, in the state of innocence, were going to live forever. And when they chose Wendy's, no offense, Wendy's, uh, when they chose to rebel against God, that brought on death. What kind of death? Physical death. Adam's no longer with us, nor is Eve. And not only physical death, as all of us fear, it brought on stuff like cancer and flu and all the things that cause physical death, that lead us to physical death. It brought on some of the defects that we have one way or another. It brought on all sorts of physical issues, but it also brought a spiritual death. The, the most gloomy passage in the Bible is where Adam and Eve are ejected from the Garden of Eden and no longer get to walk with God. And there's this distance between mankind and God that needs to be made right again. So the doctrine of sin, of original sin, is not fun to talk about. It's not fun to remember. And yet we all know it. We remind ourselves of it daily by how we are and think. Sin changed our direction from obedience to rebellion. And that has been true since that very beginning. So when it comes to sexuality and we lay that building block, yes, I was made in God's image, but I was also born into sin. When it comes to our sexuality, then obviously our sexuality has been distorted since that day. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but there's crazy instances of sexuality coming off the rails really quick, from rape to incest to, to uh, polygamy to divorce to same sex, all, all, of, all of it's in there. I mean, it, it gets there. You, you don't get out of Genesis to all of the distortions of the original intent of the creator. They're in play because, because what? Because of sin. And because every little boy and every little girl ever born by a father and a mother was born into sin. That's why we talk about Jesus as a virgin birth. 
but I got some good news. So you were born into sin, but it's not who you are. You were made in the image of God. It's not who you are. It's how we are. We are, the piling is, we were made in the image of God. It is absolutely true that you were born into sin, but it cannot trump the fact that you were born into, it can distort the fact that you were made in the image of God. It cannot shake the piling that you were made in the image of God, which is a super encouraging thing. So it would say to all of us that are believers in the room, what's the old quote? Be kill it, killing sin or it'll be killing you. Like it leads to death. It leads to physical death. But I got some good news I'm about to read about what Jesus did on your behalf that actually challenges the fact that you were born into sin. He actually says in John chapter 3 that you could be what? Born again. Hey, yeah. we could be born again. We just said we were born in the image of God, and it was all good. I was in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to live forever, and all life's good. And then this thing can't, called sin comes into play, and Jesus comes and walks the earth as a man. <laughs> it makes a way for us to be born again. I read you Romans, Romans chapter 5. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. That's me and you. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gifts of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over. <laughs> over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You see the two men? Adam and Jesus, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. We're all born into sin, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You can be born again. So what would that say? That would say, yeah, I was born with the propensity to sin, not just with the propensity to sin. It was what I was born into. So could I be born attracted to the same sex? Absolutely. Could I be born with an alcoholic tendency? Absolutely. Could I be born with deep stubbornness and pride? I live in proof of it right here. Selfishness, could I be born in a, just in a way that kind of leans me toward porn like nobody else? Absolutely. I was born into sin. But I could be born again. And I could walk with the living God and go a different direction than that sin that permeated me at birth would like me to go. I can lean on that piling that says I was made in the image of God and this new piling that we just introduced that Jesus died on the cross and gave up his life so that I could have a new life, that I could start over, so that I could be a new creation. This guy in the book, he just 
it's, it's just this beautiful story of how God makes him a new creation. Um, it made me think of this war that's raging, that Jesus, as we re remember his death, he is a great warrior on our behalf. We'll talk a bunch more about it. Let's pray.